Bear, bear, bear. Gently bear, bear, bear. Thanks for listening to Grand Craft Beer, Ben's premier beer podcast exploring everything beer in Central Oregon with your host, who's a Cicerone and the author of Oregon Breweries, Brian Yeager. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Grand Craft Beer podcast. I'm your host, Brian Yeager, and today I'm joined by Shannon McMiniman, who, as her name implies, is part of the family leadership team at McMiniman's, as well as district manager Rob Valance, who I know I met at least a decade ago as I was traveling all over Oregon for my Oregon Breweries guidebook, and that included chapters on each and every one of the McMiniman Brothers breweries. Uh, but an even better way to get those stories is through McMiniman's new podcast called The Red Shed Tapes, hosted by Shannon. So let's jump right in. I really enjoyed the first episode of The Red Shed Tapes. I am waiting with bated breath for you guys to drop the second one. How'd the idea for the podcast originate? Like, was this a spur of the moment thing? Has this been in discussion for years? It's been something that we've talked about for a really long time. Um, And then with the 40th anniversary this year, it was a great opportunity. But we really explored the option a lot during that kind of pandemic period where we were really reflective on um, kind of like what we've done and what the future would hold and, you know, with the potential of everything kind of falling apart during that time. Um, It became more and more apparent that we needed to get those stories put together somewhere where we could share that because, you know, none of us are going to be around forever. And, uh, we feel like we've got a lot, a lot of uh, information out there, a lot of information that people don't know about what we do and who we are. And that's really integral to what we do as a company. And, and it's a lot of fun. And we just wanted to make sure that we were sharing that with as many people as we could. There's no end to the number of stories that you guys have, both because you have so many locations. It's been in operation for so many years and there are so many facets to it. Obviously, uh, there's the beer side, right? And I think that was maybe the impetus, but it has grown beyond uh, probably, I'm guessing, what your your dad and uncle originally envisioned even. Um, what could you tell me about what it's been like to add different facets, different properties, different beverages? I mean, there's so much going on uh, and it just seems like it's coming at us all the time. To the point, like, I think this is your original point where, hey, guess what? There's so much going on. Let me tell you about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that's definitely, I mean, okay, so this is hard to explain because it just seems like it's been a really natural kind of progression. And it's all about, it's all kind of been about what is going to be fun, you know, and what are things that we like to do and what are other things that other people might be interested in or that we're interested in that we could try, you know, just to add these layers to our different locations. And I mean, it, it did happen pretty naturally, you know, um, I know in the early days, like with the, you know, historic locations and antiques, like those things were less expensive once upon a time. And so that was like a good way to decorate. And you could get into a space for like what seems like not very much money, but we all know that, you know, historic preservation is not what it seems at first, you know, like you might be able to get in for for not very much, but usually there's a lot uh, to kind of keep doing. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's been just an evolution really, you know, over, over time. And, um, you know, as 
like if you have space within a location to add, then we'll try to add something, you know? So it, and it's like, you know, what, what do people like to do? They like to eat and drink and what do you need? You need music. And then, you know, like, well, I guess we could probably make our own beer. Like that would be pretty fun. Like people would be into that, you know? And uh, then both people also like wine. Maybe it'd be fine, kind of fun to have a winery. And what about liquor? And, you know, what about, hotel rooms and you know it just is really kind of natural how it how it builds upon upon itself over time and yet all of the different properties both the hotel ones and you know bars and breweries and pubs and other experiences uh in my opinion they they don't none of them seem contrived they all seem like you unlocked uh, a great experience that could be had there rather than said, all right, what could we do to sort of force this upon this place? Um, how, you know, again, was was that a natural evolution? Was that something that, was that level of hospitality uh, something that, that Brian and Mike were able to do on their own until the, the sort of company grew to the point? I mean, Rob, how, how long have you been with McMinimins for now? I started in September of 91. So <laughs> yeah, what was your first role? Well, I just started as a, a pub worker, like a lot of people. I just moved to the Pacific Northwest and needed a job and got a little studio in Northwest Portland and started working at the Blue Moon. Just got on at the Blue Moon and <clears throat> worked there. I worked at the Tavern and Pool. Started homebrewing in my basement with a couple of buddies. Uh, started making some decent beer and put my hat in the ring for a position brewing and uh, the lighthouse came open and uh, they trained me up. And I, that was where I first started and had my Fishbowl. monastic lifestyle at the, at the lighthouse and was able to really focus on learning the craft and honing it in. And then they allowed me to come back to Portland and the rest is history, I guess. What do you think a 1991 version of yourself would have said if you were told 32 years later, this is, you know, that this is where the company would be. This is where you would be within it. I I, I don't think I would have even imagined it. You know, uh, I love the, all the places, the, the McMinimins places, and uh, I loved what they were doing, but I had, you know, the Edgefield, when I, the first party I went to was the opening of the power station at the Edgefield. And it was about two weeks after I started Blue Moon. And when I saw that property, I just was absolutely blown away, obviously. And it was in, you know, a state of relatively pretty bad disrepair, especially the main manor. But the power station was so brilliant the way they had restored it. I could only, I was like looking around going, if they can do this whole property like this, this is going to be incredible. And so it, it definitely sparked my interest in what the potential of working for this company was. It wasn't just, you know, trying to pay rent necessarily. There was much more to it and being in love with beer and once i started making beer i was like a light at that point i just felt like oh my gosh this is what i want to do with my life i want to make beer and be with this company because it's just a, such a great a great company to be with and i love you know i love the job so much well so you you mentioned the lighthouse out on the coast i think the gearhearts property is amazing obviously all around portland uh edgefield out in troutdale the, the the Kennedy School, Crystal, there's so many phenomenal places, spaces uh, within the McMinimins empire. But because I am here in Bend in Central Oregon, 
and uh, happily we have old St. Francis. Uh, what could you guys tell us about when that came into the fold about uh, ooh, coming up on 20 years ago? You want to talk about yeah. Rob or do you, were you, no, you, start, Rob, were you, you start. did you work on that project? Well, I did um, a little <laughs> bit. I was not the, uh, I was a district manager at the time, um, but uh, I did help with the installation of the brewery um, and, and did some, but uh, I was not the primary, I was not primarily involved with it, but uh, the longtime brewer uh, Curly, as, as you guys, as you know, he and I actually worked together at West Lynn Mm. back when he was he started at Westland when I was the brewer at Westland in the late 90s so we, I've known him for since he basically was just out of college and looking for a job and got on it with us at Westland so so I've got a good connection with Bend but I was not a primary person uh, involved with opening that particular property so obviously for listeners sake Curly was the first original brewer at Old St. Francis when it opened in 2004 he's now at Wild Ride Brewing up in Redmond. Vance Wirtz has taken over the uh, basement level brewery. Uh, but did you know that Curly had just come back to rebrew his double IPA called the Aristocrat? Uh, Aristocrat, sorry. <laughs> uh, for uh, the recent Beers from the Dead Festival? I, I, I had not, I did not know that. Yeah, he came back to, uh, you know, the whole point of that festival is to bring back long retired beers and obviously no one has more in their 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 catalog in their their history books than McMinnon's given how many I mean were there 17 breweries in Oregon and I think 24 uh once you add in the Washington ones that's that's right um just to be for the sake of accuracy you should know that uh that uh my cat members we call them Fleming he was the first, uh, you know him. He's he's been he's been a long time guy. Powder. Yeah, he uh, he was the original brewer there, and oh, then Curly came on. I think he not. brewed there, but it was pretty soon. I think he didn't even go to. You know how he likes to jump around. Yes, well, he was he with does. us for like less than two years, I would say. So uh, you know, we call him Chowder. That's why I couldn't even remember his first name. It was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, what is that guy's first name? <laughs> totally. Yeah, he he really has has gotten all over the the Oregon beer industry. Yes. Um, and that's another thing, you know, and again, we're talking, you, you know, I'm interested in how many episodes of Red Shed Tapes there will be in the future. The number of brewers who are so well-known and well-regarded in the Oregon beer industry, who got their start right there at McMinimins. That's John Harris, uh, who uh, is now retiring uh, from Ecliptic. Uh, but that's um, Jamie Floyd. I mean, there's just so many people. Yeah, in Jack Harris. Jack well. Harris, exactly, yeah. from Fort George. Yeah. Uh, I wish I had thought of them, but I, I know the list is very long, uh, very storied. Um, and yet, when people think about, I, I think the the overall concept of McMinniman's beers is, well, people think about Terminator, Ruby, Hammerhead, and a rotating IPA like Sunflower. Um, but what can you, do, do you have any handle on how many beers between all those breweries have been concocted? Is there it's, it's so many hundred, it, Is it you know, thousand? it'd be fun for our, like to make one of our historians actually go through and try and get a yeah. list together, but it would be, oh my God. Rob, list. there is a box. There is a box in the mission that has just like pages and pages and pages of, of brews. 
Yeah. <laughs> we were looking at it the other day and, and John Smart, who's our new lead historian, he was like, what do you want? Do you guys want? Like, we should look at this, you know, and we're talking about taking it like to do a podcast and we could take those notes and like sit down with the brewers with them to kind of help spark conversation. So like that, it's so exciting. Like, I know we're definitely going to do, um, we'll probably do multiple ones on brewing and beer and the history there. Um, because, you know, like you said, there's all these, these brewers who have kind of spun off from the company, but not just that, but like just the, the people who are still working within it too. Like there, there's a, a ton of us and we have so much fun and there's so many cool things that, you know, these guys are doing and Rob, I totally just jumped in there, but. But it is, it's exciting, you know, and it, it's um, yeah, the, for, for the podcast, you know, we're hoping we haven't really figured out what our schedule is yet for it. We've got another episode in the hopper. It's going to be a music episode and we're kind of like working on the final cut for that. Um, and so hopefully it'll be out within the next month. That's kind of our goal. Um, and we definitely have plans for more after that, but we need to come up with our schedule. Um, and we, and we just don't have that put together yet. The, the main thing that we wanted to do this year was get out that first episode for the 40th anniversary and then kind of see how it was received. And it seemed like it was received very positively by people and they're very interested. Um, and it's, it's pretty amazing to get that feedback, you know? So, um, so we definitely want to do more. And I know that even some of the, the people who were, might've been a little more skeptical on our side, um, came around after they listened to it as well. So, you know, cause it's, it's not, it works well with what we do, but it's also very different from what we do. And we're, we've never really been all that good about talking about ourselves. Um, but it does seem like it's important to, to let people know what we're about, you know, and what we're up to. So. Well, that's what I did enjoy. I mean, I really thought, how do you launch a podcast like that for this company? That is again, it's 40 years old, but it's two States wide. It's 24 breweries. It's I forgot how many how many scores of total properties there are. So you, I, I commend the way you sort of jumped around and you touched on beer and, of course, the foundation of the company. Um, and you worked in little things about the history and the artists and the music. And I can't wait for the second episode that's all about music. I love blowing people's minds, sharing the information that I had learned when I was touring Crystal um is the name of the restaurant zeus's or it has the word zeus in it we just changed it to house cafe after the former manager there who passed away so it does have a new name now but it was zeus and now it's house but when i tell people obviously right brian and mike McPinnaman, no secret huge deadheads so when i point out that those notes are the notes to dark star one of the yep. you know most famous grateful dead songs and just that it looks beautiful on its own. If you didn't know that, it would still be beautiful. But then there's these Easter eggs all over Crystal and probably every other property. Um, is there a, a book for that that lists all those secret things? Oh. This is the problem, right? It's like kind of all like in dad and Brian's heads, you know, from just years of kind of doing things and always adding those special little touches and like everything you see in our locations is like, it's thought out, it's deliberate, it's not 
just something that's just like thrown out there. It's, you know, we want, we want to tie it to the rest of the company. We want to tie it to the community. We want to tie it to the history and, you know, kind of make something that's relevant instead of just putting something up that looks cool. Although we do want it to look cool because we're, we definitely like, you know, a certain kind of aesthetic, but, um, you know, that, that is really important to us to have that relevance there. And so, that definitely ties back to that podcast because that, you know, we don't have that record anywhere. And, and with the podcast, it's really important for us to have all those different voices and all the different, you know, the, the artists and the makers and, you know, the people who really kind of bring our company to life. Um, cause it really does take on a life of its own. Um, you just to make sure that, that they're included in that story and that we're hearing their perspectives because, you know, like it might start with one idea, but as soon as more people get involved, that can change and evolve. And that's important to us too, um, that we're always, you know, always like rolling on and, and, and keeping things moving and keeping it fun and interesting and, and not just like rinse and repeat, you know, you want to try to get to, to the next kind of fun thing, you know, and that's, I think what's led us down so many different paths with all these different things that we do. So um, it's all in the pursuit of fun and things that are interesting and, um, you know, keeping, keeping life uh, wonderful, you know? <laughs> do you have a handle on, if you were added up every single employee across every pub, every location, a rough estimate as to how many people work for McMinimins? Oh, at our peak, like in summertime, it's probably around 3,000 people. 3,000, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I think that sounds right. Now I'm like questioning it. I'm like, oh, I think it's 3,000. <laughs> it's a lot. It takes an army. This <laughs> makes one of the largest employers in Oregon and possibly Washington. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, but then you know, again, every single, like, what are, what are some of the more fun job titles that you could think of? I, you know, when you walk around Edgefield alone, there's so much going on. Uh, what are, do you have a, a sort of running list of what the the fun sounding job titles are within the, the company? <laughs> company? I mean, wise? it probably depends on who you talk to, but you know, I mean, there's, we've got historians, we've got artists we've got gardeners we've got brewers distillers winemakers i mean it it just kind of depends on what you're interested in um you know we've got music directors and i don't know rob can you think of some of the other fun ones who am i missing coffee roasters oh we, coffee roasters yeah, for sure. yeah, yeah. Really a glass blower no, but the glass boat, they like, they lease the space. So oh, okay. they're a part okay. of the property. I, thought thought you, I, thought I wasn't sure how that worked. <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs> but you know, there's spas, and there's movies, yeah. and specials events, and you yeah. know, it's, it, yeah. <laughs> I do want to give a shout out to uh, Gina. Is it Nisel or Niesel? Niesel. Right. I mean, it's just one of those things that you, maybe not a lot of people spend time thinking about this, but McMinimins through Gina created the Cajun tot. What a what a spectacular <laughs> claim to fame. <laughs> yep, we uh there's a lot of tots out there and Gina definitely is uh pretty awesome with how she approaches her like, the philosophy with with food and really helps to kind of make the the places have like an identity with that. So it's uh she she's been a long-term long-term employee. 
the food menus always have something new and original that they're offering. I just had an elk burger with a bacon coffee jam. I don't know if that's throughout the company. Um, that's on a few places. Yeah. <laughs> let's sort of talk about the beers again, obviously, okay. uh, you know, oh, yeah. foremost brewing company. Uh, historically, I look back and I think, okay, you know, McMinimins made the first legal fruit beer and it was making pastry stouts long, you know, decades before that term was coined. Do you have a handle on the most popular beers at the breweries today? And maybe even with an eye to the future, is there something that you feel like could be something that people will look back and go, well, we were working on this back in 23, 22 you know, <laughs> well, it's I don't know. It's you know, everybody. It seems like everybody's done, done almost everything that is possible to do with beer anymore. I mean, there's like imperial golden ales and stuff, and you're just like, right. okay, what is that anyway? So yeah. you know, you have to know though that you know Ruby and Hammerhead and IPA. Even though you know we have do all, they are still like sixty five percent of our beer sales. All the IPAs we make and Ruby and Hammerhead that compromises. You know, comprise comprises about 65% of our uh, draft sales and about 75% of our can sales. So we know that, you know, those kind of styles are like, they go on, you know, they, they, you know, they're old styles and they, they just, they just endure. And so, you know, that people want, you know, even if it's, if, whether it's a hazy IPA, a West coast IPA, you know, a, a cold IPA, you know, there's, I mean, they're still there. People love hops and we know that about that. So we know that but that's probably not going to really, changed a lot. You know, Ruby is a unique product. We've been making it forever uh, and it's still super popular. It is our standalone brand as far as uh, the most popular standalone brand that we make is, is Ruby. She's the queen, queen of the beers. And but we also know that things like lager are getting more popular. And so we've just released for this year for our 40th, the 1983 lager. It's the first time we've attempted to have a lager on as a, a, as a, a standard that we, we hope to have everywhere, you know, all the time. It'd be like, just like you can always get a Ruby, you can always get a 1983 lager. And it's the first time we've ever attempted to do that because, you know, obviously lager, the amount of tank time loggers take it, it, it and how long it takes to produce a lager, it is more tricky to try and keep something like that as a standard. But it, we are doing it because loggers are keep on, you know, rising in the, in the, in, in the uh, percentage. They are up 11% from last year. I think it's going to be even more so going into next year. So we try to, you know, keep an eye on what people are, are drinking. We just released, I don't know if you know this, but we just released a, a hop water, our first hop water. Oh, I did not know. Non-alcoholic. It's called Sparkling Ruby. It's made with citra hops and raspberries and a little lemon. And uh, it's another, it's in, in, we were canning it in, in 12 ounce cans and in six packs, but it's everywhere as well in our, all of our places. So, you know, we know that a lot, there's people that are, are more interested in non-alcoholic now than they have. And making a non-alcoholic beer is much more difficult on a small scale than, you know, than people know. So we have to think of other things that we can do to offer. We're also working on a hard cider right now. I mean, a hard seltzer right now, excuse me. Uh, again, cider for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. We've had cider since 1990. Well, we, we, we did our first cider. So, I mean, we, but we've expanded on that program a lot too, uh, you know, by adding different flavors and seasonals and small batches using things from our gardens and stuff in our products to like really make them like all inclusive and in, in using everything available at the edge field, you know, barrels, 
from the distillery are used for aging cider and beer in, and then even coffee in. And then you use those barrels again for like they'll they'll take a barrel like that was once had barrel aged like black widow porter in it, and then they'll take it back to the distillery and actually put spirits back into that barrel and use it again. So there's all this stuff that's going on. And, you know, we try to keep an eye on trying to give something to everybody, you know, but people want, you know, hard seltzer now because it's really, it's like basically gluten-free and it's lower in calories, you know, and the, the sugar and it's just from the alcohol. And then these are products that there's more interest in now than we've ever seen. I, if you would have told me that we would have even imagine doing something like that 10 years ago, I would have been like, what, what is that? What, what do you mean? <laughs> but you have to know that that's part of the industry now. But let's, if possible, so the first beer was brewed in 85, right? Or was it 84? It was whenever the, 85? 85, 85. 85 is when Hillsdale started brewing. Five yeah. years later, you realize that cider, especially with the you know preponderance of apples that grow in the Northwest, you guys could make great cider. Do you remember the year that the winery came online and the first of the two distilleries? It was, it was 1990. Okay. Now, I mean, in order to make cider in Oregon, you have to have a winemaker's license. Sure. So we had to actually open the winery first. And it was a product that we could make quickly and get out there, you know, uh, whereas, you know, wine takes a little longer. You have to let it do its thing. Uh, but we, that was one of the products that you could basically just fire up and make. And it, it is, you know, so that was one of the reasons we started making it. Uh, and that people didn't know when ciders became super popular, like started becoming super popular 10 or 15 years ago, we were like, there were a lot of people that didn't even know we had, were making our own cider. We had to like, re, like actually be like, wow, we got to like let people know that we have, we've been making cider since 1990. And people were like, what? You know, because people were asking us, when are you guys going to start making cider? And I was like, I don't know, 10 years ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was, it's interesting uh, how a product like that can just, and we sold it obviously, but it was just kind of was under the radar until the cider explosion. And then it was just like, all right, we need to start making, you know, all these other kinds like blackberry and cherry and other, other ciders because it'll help, you know, expose what, uh, what we're doing with the program. So. And do you remember the year that the distillery came online? Shannon, do you remember that? Gosh, I, I don't. I don't remember that. Ugh, it's been like 20 years. All right. At least, right? Because we did yeah. the Hogshead 20-year. Yeah. There, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. My, the, my head for dates is terrible. <laughs> you know, and I just, since the since the, the act, that actually isn't in my department, it's a separate department. I, I don't think about it that much, um, but I, it's been at least 20 years. I do know it was a, about a decade ago. I remember buying a Mickey of, I can't remember the name of the, the whiskey, but it was a seven year aged whiskey. And this was at a time when the Oregon craft distilling industry was really just getting going. And it was just proof, you know, no, everyone else was doing this six month aging in a quarter barrel. And here you guys were, you had a seven year aged product just showing again how the company has always been so far ahead of the curve. It's, uh, it was 1998. I just looked it up again. Good job. Yeah. Uh, and then what about the coffee side? When did you guys start roasting in-house? I mean, again, such a, a Pacific Northwest thing to do, but no one else really has their own. You know, they might have a house brand of coffee, but they're not roasting it. Except for, of course, yeah. the roasters. <laughs> right. 
Um, do you have that one, Shannon? Can you pull it up? I'm looking up? it up right now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I can probably find it pretty quick. So that was in 2001. So, but that's like another like layer, right? So it's like, well, what do we serve a ton of that we could potentially do ourselves? And that would be kind of fun to make. So, you know, coffee, um, everybody drinks coffee. We put it in Irish coffees and make tons of cocktails out of it. And so it just made a lot of sense. And we've been, yeah, since 2001, that little coffee roaster is just over here in Northeast Portland and just cranks away, you know, so. <laughs> I will tell you, uh, so I started, I put on a bunch of these sort of silly niche beer festivals, but one of them is called Baker's Dozen and it started in 2015 and it's coffee beers. It was designed for, for when uh, the craft brewers conference was hit in Portland and I wanted to throw a party and I thought, well, we're more than just beer and there's an equal number of roasters as there are brewers in Portland. So it was coffee beers and then donuts because what would go better with that and McMinimins is the one and only company that has been invited to every single one grandfathered in because of that sort of marriage of m brewing your own beer, roasting your own coffee, having Christian be able to work with whichever brewer, you know, he wants to come up with a, a great pairing as, you know, a great uh, complimentary flavor there. And then serving that roast, that specific roast at the festival so people could try them side by side that's what i love that's about so fun. you guys <laughs> and when when he shows up to pour that coffee because again i don't think everyone knows how much you guys do in-house uh, <laughs> bring it back to where you started with the hop water i love hot waters I don't, I don't love na beers but i love hot water and you're talking about sugar and carbs and this it's such a great concept for people who don't, who like the industry and like they like the general flavor direction, but don't want any of those other things. Of course, you know, drink responsibly, drink in moderation, right. but when you don't want to drink at all, those are uh, a great offering. So I look forward to, what was the name again? Something Ruby? It's called, it's called, Spark, it's called Sparkling Ruby and you can get it at OSF. I'm going to sure. In fact, uh, one of the many, many things I love about Old St. Francis is it has the movie theater. Uh, so we go see a lot of movies there. Uh, I've discovered some all-time favorite bands who have just been playing free Wednesdays there. There's so much going on. What are what are some of the hidden things about Old St. Francis that that you could tell us? Some things that you, you know, the casual person who walks in and gets a, you know, some beers and food wouldn't know about. Well, I think that, you know, the soaking pool there is a big, a big thing that a lot of people don't know about unless they've, you know, kind of looked into the property a little bit more. Um, also, you know, the, the hotel component, we have secret rooms that are inside of the hotels, which are basically art installations that you have to find because they are not real obvious you have to kind of go in search of them in like the hallways pushing on on walls on paintings sliding things that's exactly what i'm talking about yeah. <laughs> so and there's also a secret bar there the broom closet and um you know so 
but just, you know, trying to keep it fun and, and full of surprises. But I think, you know, just kind of at first glance, you wouldn't know everything that's available at that location until you kind of get into it. Even Hugo Canes, which is a really fun outdoor bar in the back, you know, Grateful Dead theme music, awesome potbelly stove, great fire pits going um, into the evenings. And a lot of times you wouldn't even know that that's back there. You know, you kind of have to go through, you know, through the back of the building and out into the parking lot. And O'Kane's is just a really great place to spend an evening chit-chatting with all your your friends and drinking a drinking a pint. So uh any chance there's any new properties being added to the fold in the near future? You know, we have a lot of internal, like we have a lot of locations that we already have that have the potential for development. Um, and so that is what we're probably going to be the most focused on over the course of the next decade or so. We've got um, extra property out at Edgefield. So that that location isn't done growing by any means. Um, we've got raw land up at the Elks Temple. We have some space next to the Chapel of the Chimes, uh, which is our headquarters, and we have a pub there. There's space for a hotel right next door to that, and we're using it as storage. Um, I mean, there's just a lot of different options for, for expansion, and um, we just need to get there. <laughs> You know, it just takes takes time and and money. And, uh, you know, we're still kind of in recovery mode after the pandemic. And, um, you know, things are looking really good. Uh, but but doing projects is definitely something we want to get back to sooner rather than later. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you guys so much. Is there is there any other, you know, uh, facets that we haven't touched on? Uh, I know there, I mean, again, there's a million different right. things we could talk about. The people, the places, the foods the beers uh but uh i guess maybe let's start with like you said that next episode is in the hopper is there mm -hmm. a release date something that we could plug <laughs> is there i'm sorry what a release date for it Do you oh know? no i don't have a release date yet but we're working on that final copy right now so within the next month the next one should be out there so hopefully people just you know keep checking back we'll get it get it going soon and we're working on coming up with our schedule so that it'll be a little bit more consistent moving forward um because we we want that too <laughs> by the way shannon what is your role and and how many mcminimums besides ones named mike and brian are there at the company Oh, how many total McMinimins locations? Oh, oh, we've got what, 50? McMinimin. What was that? People. Oh, how many McMinimins? How many actual oh. McMinimins? <laughs> there's a billion of us. No, there's <laughs> um, there's myself. There's, uh, you know, of course, dad and, and, and Brian, and then, uh, my older brother, Dan, younger brother, Sean and Brian's son, Connors, my cousin. So yeah, there's, there's a bunch of us who, who all work together. Um, I work in like kind of a co-owner capacity. So I do the podcast, I oversee lodging, uh, operations and retail and spa and, and involved in all kinds of different things. Um, and it's kind of the same, the same with the whole group at, at this point now that you know we've been working in the company for over 20 years i think each of us has reached that milestone at this point um and so yeah i mean we're we're definitely you know kind of taken 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 on as second generation as uh you know dad and uncle brian start taking a step back of course those guys are gonna work forever and this is definitely you know their passion and um you know we wouldn't have it any other way because they're you know they're the heart and soul of this company and uh 
yeah, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's always a challenge working with family, but it's a, uh, it's really rewarding too. So. By the way, you mentioned there's a billion of us. Any idea if you guys are related to the sports writer, David McMiniman? Cause I, see I don't it. know, actually. <laughs> Every time I read something from him, I, I wonder. <laughs> yeah. Probably some sort of distant relative. I don't know. <laughs> And then you also mentioned lodging. Have you personally stayed at all the different hotels? Oh, yeah, for sure. How many are there altogether? There's uh, 11 hotels. Between Oregon and Washington? Between Oregon and Washington, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've only stayed at uh, maybe up to, almost half of those, but uh, every time I'm like, oh, this place, I just feel like I can spend a week walking around. And now it, another week pushing on walls and doors and... Knocking things over. I was looking for the secret bar. (laughs) That is really fun. That is really fun. (laughs) It's been fun to have been involved in those. You know, I've worked on all the, all the hotel projects, you know, probably starting, God, I don't even know the first hotel that I worked, worked on the opening for, but I, you know, I was the hotel manager at the Grand Lodge and at Edgefield and, you know, it was a district manager over all the different uh, hotel managers for a very long time. And um, yeah, I just feel really connected to that side of the business. And Edgefield is super cool already. Do I remember hearing that the the prison part of it, which people might not know about, is opening up as an additional hotel soon? Not soon, but we do have plans. I mean, right now it's full of like all the barrel storage and there's antiques and there's just like tons of stuff that's up in that space right now, uh, including the stage for the Edgefield concerts. So, you know, we've, it's, it's a highly used area at this point and we definitely have plans to turn that into a hotel, but there's a lot of different things that need to happen um, before we get there, but <laughs> that's a whole bunch of insider information right there. <laughs> I, know, I, like, I like to, to get in a few of those things uh, while we can. Yeah. Well, again, Shannon, thank you so much. Rob, thank you so much. Great catching up chatting. I really look forward to that next episode, uh, the music episode of Red Shed Tapes. Uh, it would be awesome if, if there could be some original music for it, like a musical, uh, podcast. <laughs> But uh, I know you already have a lot of uh, uh, plates spinning, so that might not be one that you get to add to it. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be fun, though. (laughs) Totally. Uh, All right. Well, thank you guys again so much. And uh, hopefully next time in one of the pubs over a pint. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you for listening to the Grand Craft Beer Podcast with yet another voice from Central Oregon's homegrown beer community. We hope you'll share this episode and subscribe so you never miss a beer-soaked conversation. For questions, comments, or suggestions, contact host Brian Yeager via Facebook, Instagram, or X, all with the handle at Grand Craft Beer, all one word. Cheers! Beer, beer, beer.